I love uh, Jonathan's statement there about um, they might stay just like I did. You know, I, uh, I think about this whole effort that we're making for, um, you know, to make Christ known. And um, what we want, right, was we want people to be reached with the gospel. We want them to come, but we want them to stay as part of our church, right? And here's the thing, like, people come and they will, they might hear a buzz about what's going on. They might see our building built, come check it out. They might uh, come for a sermon. But here's the thing, people come to a church for one reason, but you know why they stay? People stay usually because of relationships, because of love, right? Where they have felt like this is a place where there's love for Christ and there's love for people. And so guys, what's our responsibility? We need to be the community of love, right? We need to be the community that says, you know, we, we love Christ wholeheartedly and we're committed to loving people. And if we do, then I believe that that will be so key to helping people stay. Uh, guys, this is week five of our sermon series called Make Him Known. Uh, this is the final week of our sermon series. This is Commitment Sunday. Um, we're all excited about this. I'm pumped. I'm uh, just eager to see what God is going to do. So I'm so grateful that all of you are here today. Uh, thank you guys for coming, whether you're in person um, here or over at East. Uh, welcome to everybody at East as well. Even if you're joining us online, we're so grateful for you guys. But if you are new with us today, um, you need to know you're coming in on a very unique Sunday for us. This is a, a different Sunday. This is the culmination of years worth of work. This is the culmination of, a, of about a nine or ten week focus um, on an initiative that we're doing here as a church. And uh, if you're coming in and you're new, you know, this is just, uh, it's an exciting day. Um, but you need to know that you're walking into the end of something called the Make Him Known Initiative. Um, if you're a guest with us today on the tables, on your way out the door, there are these black booklets that really share the vision of our church and where we're going. And we're asking the church today to commit to using their financial resources to support where we believe God is taking us over the next couple years. So before you leave, grab one of these books if you're new with us. But thank you guys again for being here. Um, I I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for what God is doing in the hearts of the people. I mean, of our church through this, these past five weeks, it's just been story after story after story of the way that God is working, stretching, growing people, providing for people. It's been awesome to hear all these things. And um, we have been really saying over the past two months, like, we need to remember why we're here as a church, right? And what have we said? We said, we want to be a church that helps people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who do what? Know him and make him known, to know him and make him known. That's why we're here. That's why we're here as UBC. That's why you're here if you're a follower of Jesus. And so what we've done is we've built this symbol, this image that you've seen around. You can see it all over the kind of the front cover of your booklet. You can see it on the graphics on the screen. You can see this little circular kind of wheel looking thing. And nobody, everyone's like, what are we going to call this? From now on, we've decided we're just going to call this the UBC seal, okay? It's the UBC seal. But here's the thing. This seal that we've developed, it's meaningful, it's symbolic, it actually has purpose behind the way it was drawn out and designed. Thank you, by the way, John Budell, wherever you are, for uh, making this for us. It turned out great. But the outer ring of this seal, if we can just look at this together, the outer ring of this seal, really, it says to know him and to make him known. Right, that really is the overarching message and purpose of our church, right? That's why we're here. That kind of encompasses everything else to help people become wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known. Well, what does a wholehearted disciple of Jesus look like? Like Every church knows that they need to make disciples, but what sort of disciples are we trying to make? What are the characteristics of a disciple that we want to pursue? We've said that we want to build out nine characteristics of a disciple that we're going to go after. We've presented eight of them to the church so far. Um, Four of them have to do with knowing Christ. Four have to do with making him known. And so what you'll see on our symbol, if we can just kind of go to the next slide, 
on the top part of this symbol, there's four kind of internal stars that tie into the idea of knowing him. We said that these four ways that we want to pursue knowing Christ uh, are these. Number one, we want to we know him personally. We are a church that believes that people need to be saved and born again. And that knowing information about God is not really what makes somebody saved. It's about having a personal relationship with Christ through faith. So that first star means knowing him personally. The second star means knowing him biblically. We live in a culture that has to do with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, ideas and opinions about Jesus and about Christ and who he is. And so we say the best way to know Christ is through scripture. We believe in the truth of scripture. Uh, The third star means that we want to be disciples who know him prayerfully. We believe in communicating with God, that we speak to him and hear from him through prayer, that our prayer is our language of dependence upon God. It's how we hear from him as well. And so we wanna walk day by day with him by being disciples who know him prayerfully. And then last, that fourth star uh, means that we want to know him relationally. And what we mean by knowing him relationally is we want to be people who know him in the context of relationships with other believers. You're gifted differently than me. All of us have a unique experiences and perspectives on life, but we believe that when the body of Christ comes together, that we actually come to know our Savior better while we are in committed relationships with one another, right? So those are the four characteristics of a disciple that have to do with knowing him. Well, then we said there are four other characteristics of a disciple symbolized uh, on the on the bottom uh, ring with those four stars. And these bottom four stars have to do with making him known. Well, we said we want to make him known in so, some specific ways. We want to make him known missionally, where we're a church that joins in the mission of God to share the gospel and make disciples. That's the first star. The second star uh, means that we want to make him known mercifully. We're just like in the Good Samaritan, right? The, the, the man showed mercy on the hurting man. We want to be people who see folks that are hurting around us and act with compassion. The third star on the bottom means that we want to make him known generationally, where we want to train the next generation to know the mighty deeds of the Lord so that they will do the same to the future generations and tell their children. And then the fourth star on the bottom says, means that we want to make him known resourcefully. That whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever resources God has given us, we're not going to bury them in the sand. Right? We want to use them according to God's will. And so that's what those, uh, really those eight stars all symbolize. But then you can see that there's one more aspect of discipleship that remains. And that is symbolized by the central star. And that is the characteristic of worship. Worship must be at the heart of all that we do as disciples of Jesus Christ. It must, be all, it must be at the heart of all that we do as a church. Today I want to talk to you about making Christ known worshipfully. Worshipfully. Our sermon text for today is going to be uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and take it now and open there. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you're following along in your Make Him Known booklet and you want to take notes, you can open up your booklet here to page 92, and that's where you can uh, take notes from today's sermon and reflect on them later. Again, if you're online with us today, uh, you can also go to ubcbeavercreek.com slash known. and there's a, a little resources tab there. If you click on that resources tab, you can open up the electronic version of this booklet. And um, I would encourage you to get your phone out and go to that website uh, because we're gonna be even utilizing that website with our online viewers later at the end of this service when we make our commitments. Those of you who are online, you'll turn in your commitments online. So just encourage you to go to that website and be ready to participate in that manner. 
Now, in just a moment, I'm going to read uh, from Romans chapter 12. And before I do, it's always important to remember the context before you read your text. So what has led up to Romans 12? Like, we got to remember, the book of Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, right, in the city of Rome. And uh, there's a lot of rich content in chapters 1 through 11. Let me just summarize it for you. Chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul has said, you know, we are all sinners in need of salvation. At the end of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, Paul says, you know what? God has made salvation possible through Christ, um, through faith in Jesus. Uh, chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and really into chapter 8, it talks about the freedoms that come through salvation in Christ. And then uh, chapters 9 through 11 basically talk about the, the scope of God's salvation. Like it's available to all people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles, people all around the world. And so what really has Paul been emphasizing? That God in his mercy has made a way for sinful people like us to be saved, right? That is what has led up to Romans chapter 12. So that all is kind of the context that leads into our text today. Let's read Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. God's word reads this way. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, this is God's word. And as we've said all of our weeks in the series, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Today I want to talk to you about one idea, and it's this. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him and make him known worshipfully. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ, you must know him and make him known worshipfully. I want to work through this message in the same structure we've worked through all of our messages in this series. I want to answer three questions. The first question is, what does it mean? What does it mean to make him known worshipfully and to know him worshipfully? Why is it important? That's the second question we'll answer. And the third question is, how can we pursue it? How can we pursue it? That's the, the three questions that we're going to answer. And then at the end of this service today, we will all take our commitment cards and make our commitments to uh, what God is calling our church uh, to be part of for the next couple years. All right, so let's jump into it. Knowing him and making him known worshipfully. No, question number one, what does it mean? What does it mean? Simply stated, here's what it means. It means offering all of your life to God. This is what it means to know him and make him known worshipfully. It means offering all of your life to God, every part of who you are, your personal life, your private life, your vocational life, your family life, you know, all of it. Like, Lord, all of my life is yours. Nothing held back, no secret things held in reserve for you. Lord, all of who I am belongs to you. I give my life to you. Now, this is what Paul is talking about when he says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? You guys say it. Living sacrifice, right? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So when Paul says presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, you know, that is your spiritual worship. That would have been kind of a kind of a fresh idea for people in their kind of first century, highly Jewish kind of influenced culture that we're we're talking about the Messiah and the plan of God. Because what do we know from the Old Testament? Sacrifices were often made to God, but sacrifices were often 
they were always dead animals, right? They were dead sacrifices. But here Paul is saying, no, you're gonna come and you're gonna make a living sacrifice to the Lord. Well, what does that mean? That means that while you're alive, right, while you're living, you give your whole self to God. All of who you are, you offer it up to the Lord. Years ago, you guys, I officiated a wedding for a good friend of mine, and uh, he and his wife, they decided that they wanted to use some um, language from the old Puritan culture when they committed their vows to each other. And so they wrote out their vows, and the last line of their vow said something like this. It said something like, um, with all that I am, I the worship. Now, not, not talking to God, right? They're, they're committing their vows to their spouse. With all that I am, I thee worship. I remember reading that going like, what? Hold on now. Are we on the verge of heresy here? Like, what's going on? And, uh, and then I started to think about that more, and I just started to remember like, okay, in the old culture, right, what did it mean to worship, right? To worship was to give all of yourself to someone or something, Right? That's totally different than uh, the, our understanding of worship, right? When we think of worship now, right, we don't think of giving our whole self to something. We kind of tend to think of it as like a one-hour service that we give ourselves to on Sunday, right? We're going to go to worship for an hour, and then when worship is done, then we just kind of go through the rest of our life, right? Then, you know, what a cultural misunderstanding. We, instead of thinking about worship as a living sacrifice, you know, we think of it like a music genre, I'm going to listen to my worship music and then I'm going to kind of worship while the music is on and then when it's over, I'll just go do something else, right? And here's the truth, right? Here's the truth. Worship includes joining in corporate worship services like this on Sunday. Absolutely. This is a valuable part of how we live out our lives of worship by gathering with the church for corporate worship. It also includes singing and music and using the gifts that God has given us to you know, uh, really honor the Lord through music. But we must understand that worship is far more than that, right? Worship means offering all of who we are to the Lord, right? So knowing him and making him known worshipfully means offering all of your life to God. It means offering all of your life to God. That's the answer to our first question. Here's the second question. Why is this important? Why is this important? I want to talk to you today about two reasons why it's important to know him and make him known worshipfully. And like every sermon in this series, there's far more than two reasons in the breadth of Scripture, but two that we see directly in our text today, and I hope that you'll pay attention, and I hope that the Lord will speak to you through his word today. First reason is this. It's because worship is our natural response to receiving salvation. The worship of God is the natural response of someone who has received salvation. Like if, you, if you're truly saved, your natural response will be to worship God. What does Paul say here? Paul says in verse one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So when Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God, we gotta remember, he just got done writing 11 chapters worth of theology, like rich content about the person and work of Christ and how it applies to sinners like us. And so that's why he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. We've said this so many times in church that it becomes a little funny, but I also wanna keep reiterating it. Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you need to remember what it's there for, right? Whatever preceded what you're reading it really shapes what you're about to read. That's what therefore means. In light of everything else that I just read, what did Paul just say here? Paul says, I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God. What does that mean? That means that Paul has been sharing 
a ton for them to remember about the mercies of God. Well, what has he shared? What has he shared so far leading up to chapter 12? Remember, in the beginning of Romans, he's talking about sin and how the world is corrupted by sin and how we ourselves have all fallen short of God's glory. It's not like the problem of sin is just out there somewhere. It surely is, but it's also right here inside of us. Each of us contribute to the sin problem in the world. And so Paul makes his argument in chapters one through three that we are sinners in need of a savior. And then in chapter three and four, he starts to talk about how God made a way for us to be forgiven of our sin through faith in Jesus. And when we have faith in Jesus, he goes on to write about how this grants us you know, access to God and to all of God's promises. Right? So these, these wonderful gifts of mercy that we don't deserve, when we become Christians, they are ours. Right? It gives us a right relationship with God when we trust Christ. It gives us hope of heaven. It gives us growth throughout all the struggles and trials of life. It gives us the Holy Spirit inside of us. Salvation makes us uh, recipients of all the promises of God that he's given. And he makes it available to everyone, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, no matter who you are. So I just want to state it very clearly. God's gift of salvation is open for anybody here who would believe anyone. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how much terrible, how many terrible things are in your past. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are or how non-religious you might feel. God's gift of salvation is open for you. It's available for you. And because of that, we can all look at God and say, you know what, God, you are such a God of mercy. Mercy. When you realize that God gave the gift of mercy to you, then your natural response is, is to just give your whole life back to him. Knowing him and making him known worshipfully is important. Why? Because it's our natural response to receiving salvation. That's the first reason it's important. Here's the second reason. It's because worship is the ongoing result of experiencing transformation. Worship is the ongoing result of experiencing transformation, right? We said worship at first, it's our natural response to receiving salvation. Now we're saying Paul is going to show us something different. It's the ongoing result of experiencing transformation. Paul writes in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word transformed is such a key word in this text. In the original language, in the original Greek language, the word transformed is the word metamorpho. We say metamorpho. It's where we obviously get our word metamorphosis in the English language, right? So when you think about metamorphosis, you're thinking something was one thing, then it becomes something totally different. It's been transformed. A tadpole becomes a frog. A caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And in our case, unrighteous, terrible sinners become saved, sanctified, and set apart unto God, you know, made acceptable to him through Jesus. We become totally transformed over time, transformed from one degree to another to be more and more like Jesus. Praise God. If you're a Christian, aren't you glad that you're no longer who you once were? I, man, I am. I, I, I think back on certain parts of my past and I just think like, who was that guy, right? By God's grace, changing us from one degree to another to look more and more like Jesus. Guys, listen, the church should be a community where people come and they know they don't have to be who they've always been. Are you with me on this? This is what the church should be. The church should be a community where people come and they know by God's grace, real change is possible, right? It's here that the addict can find freedom. 
It's here that the depressed can find hope. It's here that the aimless can find purpose. It's in the church that the immoral can be made clean. It's in the church that the unforgiving can become gracious. It's here in the church that greedy people can be made generous, right? It's here where the lost become found. It's here where sinners become saved by God's grace. The church is the people of God. And our God changes people. We become transformed. That's what Romans 12.2 is talking about, transformation. But here's the thing. This transformation is deeper than we initially probably think of. When we think of transformation, we often think of changes on the outside, right? Behavior changes. I want you to notice that Romans 12.2 actually talks about how change happens on the inside, right? He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that's internal, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's the word acceptable that stood out to me in my study this week. Acceptable in the original language is the Greek word euarestos. Euarestos. And what that means is something is pleasing or pleasurable. So when you read the Greek language, and other passages in scripture, oftentimes the word euarestos is translated as pleasing or pleasurable in many other passages. So think about it like this. Uh, I love coffee. Any other coffee fans? Okay. Many of you are coffee haters, right? I know you. You gladly make your opinion known about coffee, okay? Um, you come in and you're not, you're not coming for the coffee in the, in the lobby. You're looking for the hot chocolate stand, right? Like we know who you are. And some of you go for the tea, okay? Uh, right? Right? You, here's the thing. Even if you hate coffee, you might, you're, you're probably able to identify coffee, right? It's a dark liquid. It's usually hot. It has a certain smell. And if people drink too much of it, they're totally hyper, right? Like, so you can identify it. You might even be able to force yourself to drink some coffee. Right? You can go through the action of drinking coffee. But here's the thing. It would take a total act of God for you to say, I now like coffee. It would take a metamorphosis, right? It would take a transformation inside of you. Here's the thing. This is the way it works when you become a Christian. When you receive salvation, there's a transformation inside of you. You're not just able to recognize God's will. You're not even just able to do God's will. But when God is changing you, now you start to enjoy God's will. It becomes pleasurable to you, right? That's what uh, Paul is saying here. Even, even non-believers can point out what is right and what's wrong. Even Pharisees and people like that can obey God's rules and do the things that God commands. But only somebody who's experienced the internal transformation can enjoy what God enjoys, can be pleased by what pleases God. That's what Paul is saying here. A truly worshipful life it's the ongoing result of experiencing God's transformation on the inside. That's why it's important. Now, how are we gonna pursue this? How are we gonna pursue this worshipful life? Let's talk first about how we can pursue it individually. Individually. We wanna make him known worshipfully. We wanna know him worshipfully. Here's what we do. We do this by living our whole lives for God instead of for this world. You want to pursue God worshipfully? You commit and say, God, my whole life is yours. It's no longer, the, it's, I'm not conforming to the ways of the world, right? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says here in verse two? 
do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. You guys understand? Everybody gets this? The world wants you to conform to a pattern, right? There's a way of living, a set of values, certain behaviors and uh, activities that the world is going to try to make you fit their box, right? And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. When we started this sermon series out um, two months ago, I shared with you guys a very personal, transformative um, moment in my life. If you recall this story, it was occurring in the year 2000. I was 23 years old. I was in Memphis, Tennessee at an event called One Day. And a relatively unknown pastor by the name of John Piper comes up to the stage and he gives a sermon that would eventually become known as Don't Waste Your Life. And I shared with you a video clip that really made an impact on me, right, where he calls those of us who are in the crowd, mainly, you know, college students and young adults, he calls us to live for something that would matter in eternity, right? And, and he says, look, if you chase the American dream, the big house and the nice car and the comfortable life and not a lot of suffering, you know, if you just have a nice, comfortable life, then you know what? You will, if that's all you're living for, you will have wasted your life because you're not living for something that will matter in eternity. And he says, living for the American dream is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And I want you to pick up here. We're going to watch we already watched the first part of this clip. I want us to watch the rest of it, and I want you to see what God used to ha- start transforming my life. Let's check this out. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead. Instantly, and I asked my people, Is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places and 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico fly into eternity with a death in a moment is this a tragedy I asked it is not a tragedy I'll read you what a tragedy is 
I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early. February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. God used that moment when I was 23 to really change my life. Maybe he wants to do something similar in, in your life today. Maybe he's been stirring something similar in your life for a while now. I want to say to you today, like, just don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, right? The world's patterns and the world's pleasures are opposite of God's patterns and God's pleasure. So don't, don't live for the world. That's how you will waste your life. So consider yourself dead to the world and offer all of who you are in this lifetime, all of who you are to God and his will. That's how we personally pursue a worshipful life. Now what about collectively for us as a church? As a church, I'll just say it simply. We're gonna pursue Worshipful ministry by making the worship of Christ central to all of our church ministry efforts. We want to make worship central to all of our church efforts. You guys remember these nine characteristics of a disciple that we talked about at first. You need to know, we're going to build all of our ministry around these characteristics. But you do need to know this. Guys, worship isn't just one of them. Worship is the most important of them. 
right? Worship is the most important. And here's why. I want you to hear this. If you remove worship from your ministry efforts, you may still have a ministry, but it is no longer Christian. You with me on this? If you remove it, if you remove the worship of Christ, you might still have a growing church and lots of people, people feeling like they're doing lots of things. But if the worship of Christ is, is missing from your ministry, then it's no longer Christian. Think about this. If you try to know God personally but not worship Jesus, all you have is general spirituality, higher power, just vague concepts about God. If you try to know God biblically but not worship Jesus, then you're just gonna be a bunch of Pharisees, right? That's what we'll be. Knowing the scripture but missing the one who they point to. If you try to know God prayerfully but not worship Jesus, then you'll just have dead religion. How many of us look around and we hear people, they can recite the Lord's Prayer, they can do the now I lay me down to sleeps and all the other scripted things, but it's, it's, there's nothing there, right? It's just dead religion. If you try to know God relationally but not worship Jesus, then at best what you're gonna have is just a nice little support group. You, won't have the, you might have relationships with friends, but you won't have the church if you try to be missional but not worship Jesus, then you'll simply be a zealous proselyte, right? You might be able to gain a following. You might be able to kind of gather a crowd, but we're not gathering them to Jesus. If you try to be merciful but not worship Jesus, then we're just gonna have a church full of humanitarians doing good things, all the while just easing people's path to hell. You try to be generational, but you're not worshiping Jesus. You're just making nice little moral citizens, little kids who grow up and just become good people, but you're not making followers of Jesus. You try to be resourceful, but not worship Jesus, then you may be able to be generous, but generous giving never made anybody saved. If worship isn't at the center of all we do, guys, then we are off track. The worship of Christ must be central to all that we do as a church. Knowing him, making him known, is why we're here. To be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ, you must know him and make him known worshipfully. Worshipfully. That's what this whole Make Him Known initiative is about. It's about Christ. I hope that you've really picked up on that over the past couple months of us talking about it. We're gonna go into our time 